Well, good morning, Dallas Bible Church. It is great to be back again with you guys again, uh, really for the last time online only, which I am personally really, really excited about. If you have not caught the memo yet, uh, we are going to be gathering together in person next week on Sunday, September the 13th. I really do hope you're able to join us that day. I totally understand if you're going to be staying at home for a long time. Uh, we get that, but we are going to be gathering together in here again on Sunday the 13th, two different services, 9 o'clock, 1045 in the morning. Uh, here's what we need from you. If you would, please go online today, dallasbible.org backslash together. Uh, you can also get through through the backslash connect. It'll take you to the same place, but we need you to RSVP and let us know if you're planning to be there that day and if you're going to be bringing kids and family and stuff like that. We're only, only got a, a limited number of spots that day in both services, so please let us know if you're going to be coming. But again, I hope it, uh, you know, I hope it's pretty obvious. I'm really excited to see people, <laughs> need to see people on the other side of this thing. And I cannot wait to be there doing that with you again then. So if you have your Bibles with me, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter one. That's where we're going to be again this week. <laughs> Some of you are going to go, okay, Aaron, we were in week four of this series already, and you have not even gotten to the main point of Romans chapter one. Uh, are we ever going to finish this thing in 25 to 30 weeks? And all I can say to that is that, hey, we serve a mighty and powerful God who does miracles. And so I'm very, very confident that we're going to somehow make it through there. But that is where we're going to be today. Chapter one, verses 16 through 17. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Paul's thesis in his letter to the church in Rome. And it's going to deal specifically with this go rhythm that you heard Brian talk about just a little while ago, and really why this go rhythm is so central, not only in our own personal church here at Dallas Bible, but why it's so central um, in the life of we who call ourselves evangelicals. I don't know if you know this much or not, but this is one of the, the main distinctives of being an evangelical. Uh, the website's going to talk about four different distinctives specifically, but they're going to say uh, these are what's unique about evangelicals, biblicism, activism, crucicentrism, and conversionism. And so these are four distinctives for evangelicals, but we have a high view of scripture, meaning we recognize it as the inspired authoritative word of God. That's biblicism. Activism is this conviction that that uh, the, the, the gospel compels us to go in a missional force into the world, uh, not only with the gospel, but in a way that's going to be doing social uh, activeness, justice in our communities. And so there's an activism component there. Crucicentrism is the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ, meaning he's not just an example of sacrifice upon the cross, but it actually accomplished something for us there. And it is central to our worship. He accomplished something through his life, death, and resurrection. And then the last one is conversionism. Like we have this desire that when we go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to see people convert um, and recognize that he alone is Lord and give their lives totally and completely to him. And so the first two elements of evangelicalism, they're somewhat socially acceptable. People acknowledge, hey, the Bible's great. We love reading the Bible. It's good for you. Um, nowadays, everybody's into activism. Right? That's one of the most socially acceptable things you can do today. And so activism is, is, is all over the place. It's the last two that are pretty controversial. And a lot of people on the outside, uh, they really don't understand why we get so passionate about this and why it's such a big deal to us. I was reading this article a little while ago, uh, but there's a quote from a famous Catholic feminist scholar named Rosemary uh, Radford, but she talks about it like this. She, she talks about how our commitment to mission work and to evangelism was another example of evangelicals' absurd religious chauvinism is what she's called it. And so, in other words, like, like how dare you think that someone should convert and, and recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord and, and fall in line with him? How dare you think that's religious chauvinism, right? Right. 
Uh, one, uh, there's another famous blogger, a Christian blogger, who explained it like this. He says, I know that the Bible tells us that, uh, to tell other people about Jesus, but I really don't like the idea of pressing someone to come around to my way of thinking. When I talk to people about God and faith, I don't want to come across looking like I think that my religion is better than theirs. It just feels really, really arrogant. So can you just think about what he's saying? Like arrogant. It feels arrogant to say, here's who God is. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to come into him. Barna came out with a study a little while ago. It said, again, 95% of all active believers, meaning that we practice our faith on a regular basis, evangelicals, they all, again, acknowledge that this is a central part of what God has called us to do. Yet 47% of all practicing millennials actually believe it is uh, morally wrong uh, to be a witness, to be proselytizing or to share your faith. It is morally wrong for someone to go and expect someone to convert to, uh, to, to your faith. Uh, by the way, this is twice as much as any other generation. It goes on and it talks about how about 95% of us, again, agree this is really important, yet less than 15% of practicing Christians have gone and shared their faith even one time in the past year. And only 3% of us have done it on multiple occasions. Church, like, how is it, why is it that so many of us are so proud of our faith and yet ashamed of it at the exact same time? I mean, Paul's going to get after it here in the, in the, beginning, of his, in the beginning of his letter. But he's going to say, like, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Central thesis to his letter to the church in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. He continues and he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so I've told you this in the past, but like, again, this is the passage that God used to radically transform my life way back in the day. I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, again, I've told you a little bit of the story, but came to faith very early on. Was at a youth group retreat and came back from that retreat on fire for God. My parents taught me how to study the word of God. They said, start here in Romans, start devouring it. And I start devouring the word of God. And I get stuck on Romans chapter one, verse 16 and 17. And I just looked at Paul's words right here and it just hit me. I just said, you know what? I am ashamed of the gospel. This is where I am right now. I professed faith in Jesus Christ for years, yet, yet my entire life, I, I've been nothing but ashamed of what he's done for me. Like, I don't talk about him. I don't read about him. I, I don't publicly profess him in any form or fashion. And I'll tell you what it was for me. I, I remember very, very early on, probably somewhere around fifth grade, but I was playing on a playground at kid, as, as a kid, and uh, I was hanging out with my, with my friends at recess one day. And a number of the friends that I was hanging out with, they started picking on some other kids and they started kind of saying, hey, they started pushing me to go do some of the same things. And, and quite honestly, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it. I was like, no, 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 I'm out of here. I start walking around. I start walking away from what they wanted me to do on the playground that day. And uh, I'll never forget, they start yelling at me. They're like, come on, church boy. Come on, church boy. You're not too good for us. You're not, come on, church boy. And I'll never forget those words. They, st they just stung. And there was something about being called church boy that it just made me ashamed to be a church boy. Like now I wear it as a badge of honor. But like back then, like I just felt nothing but shame. And it trickled into the point where I get there as a sophomore in high school. I'm realizing, hey, my entire life has been defined by being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember meditating on this and just kind of saying, Father, would you do this work in me that changes me from the inside out to where I could be bold in my testimony and in my gospel witness that I would not be ashamed of the gospel anymore. And so church, like, I don't know if that may be where you are today, 
But my hope and my prayer for us today is that God would do this work in you and me that by the end of this day, end of this season that you may be in, that you would be filled with such confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'd be able to say along with the Apostle Paul, like, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he gives us a few things here I just want to point out that I think is going to help us get to that place of confidence. But first off, like we got to understand when we're talking about the gospel, sharing the gospel, being confident in the gospel, like at its very core, we're talking about sharing good news. That is the definition of the gospel. The word that he uses right here is euangelion. It's the Greek word which literally means the message or good news. That is what the gospel means. It is good news about something that's already been done. And so the image that he pulls from right here is really that of a herald who is bringing good news to a village and he's gathering everybody there in the courtyards of the village and he's screaming out this good news so that everybody can hear it. Keep in mind, like this is taking place at a time long before newspapers existed, right? Like this is long before the internet, cell phones, you didn't even have radio, uh, contrary to popular opinion, like pigeons weren't a thing, right? You couldn't like give a note to a pigeon and it just flies off and like that's how news spread. Like if you're a general and you won a major war at that time, you win the war and you're going to go grab a herald who is essentially somebody that's got a really, really, really loud voice. I imagine kind of like Cameron Sparks or something, right? Someone with a loud voice, a gifted orator, and he's going to tell them the good news and that person's going to run to the town, gather everybody and say, hey, guess what? We won the war. And the village is going to celebrate. And then that herald is going to go to the next village and say, guess what? We've won the war. And it's going to go from village to village to village, proclaiming the good news of what's already been done. And church, like that's what we're talking about right here. Like that's what the gospel is. It's not arrogant because it has nothing to do with me. In fact, it actually implicates me and it implicates you and it elevates God because the entire thing is good news about him. And so contrary to every popular view of salvation, which says, hey, here's what you've got to do in order to be saved. Something kind of like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you, be a very generous person, treat people with respect, anything like that. Contrary to all those other good things, the gospel is not simply good advice. The, the gospel is good news about a victory that's already been won for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he begins his letter and he simply says, yeah, I'm not ashamed of this thing. Why? Because it's not about me. I'm just a herald of something that's already taken place. I'm just a herald of this good news. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so first and foremost, church, you've got to understand, like when we talk about being bold in the gospel, we're talking about proclaiming good news. He continues on and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, not only to the Jew, but also then to the Greek. In other words, it is the power of God for salvation. It is the dunamis of God, meaning it's not just that it contains the power of God. Um, it's, it's not just that um, it, it points to the power of God. But what he's saying right here is like, it is the power of God unleashed. And so first, like, it's not just good news. That's number one. But it's also powerful good news. In the 18th century, when dynamite was invented, they pulled from this Greek word in order to describe what was taking place in this tiny little stick that when lit and when unleashed would wreak havoc on the world and literally change everything around it. Uh, this past month, my family and I went out to Angel Fire, New Mexico. We crossed over to Colorado Springs, spent a little time at Cave of the Winds. I don't know if you guys have ever been out there, but it's a fantastic caving, gold mining expedition, which is fun for the kids, of course. Um, but, but I won't forget, like, the, the uh, 
the tour guide that was taking us around was talking about how they did gold mining back then. And naturally, they're going to take pickaxes, and they got hand pickaxes, and they go and try to chisel out the gold from the walls of these caves. But she goes, you know, every now and then they get to this point where they've kind of done everything that they can with their hands, and then that's when they come and they bring the dynamite out. And so they would plant this dynamite in the side of the walls, and then they would go and they'd light this thing, and they'd just blow the whole thing up, and that dynamite would allow them to go deeper than anything they could have ever done before. Church, like, that's what he's saying right here. That, that's what the gospel is. It's not just a list of suggestions and great advice for how to go in and change things for yourself. Like, the gospel is, in and of itself, the power needed to reach the deepest levels of your soul so that you can be changing from the inside out. And I've got to imagine, church, like, like, like the reason that Paul is so emphatic and so confident about this thing is because like, he's experienced this power firsthand for himself. I mean, you know his story, right? I mean, we read about it in Acts chapter 9, one of the most beautiful, powerful conversion stories in all of Scripture. But at the beginning of chapter 9 in Acts, uh, we, we read Paul's actually going by Saul at that time because God cha- transforms his life. He becomes the apostle Paul. But at this point in time, he's going by Saul. And all we read is that he's a violent persecutor of Christians who is breathing murderous threats against the church and all kinds of innocent people. So he's not the guy that you wanted to hang out with in, back in high school. Like He's just not that nice guy. On top of that, He's, he's a violent aggressor while also being one of the most religious people around. You remember how he talks about himself in Philippians chapter 3, but he says, if someone else thinks, thinks, uh, thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. I'm that religious person. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In, in, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, he says, I was faultless. In other words, like he's that religious kid that grew up in the church, like listening to Michael W. Smith and Carmen all the time. And I'm definitely not hating on them because like friends are friends forever. Like that still slays me every single time. But like that's who Paul is. He's that hyper-Christian kid that grew up in the church, incredibly religious in all of his different ways. Like he goes on and he studies under Gamaliel, who was pretty much the modern day, it's kind of like our modern day Tim Keller or something like that. And so Paul was the kid that like, he, had, he had all the answers of the sword drills in Sunday school. He had every single Bible verse memorized in Awanas. That's who he is, church, incredibly religious. Yet at the exact same time, we read in Acts 9 that this incredibly religious person was filled with so much anger and rage that he's breathing out murderous threats against the rest of the disciples. And what I love about his story is that that, that, that may be how the chapter begins, but it's not how the chapter ends. And so we read about it, how the chapter begins with Saul and anger and rage. But he goes on the road to Damascus, and on the way to Damascus, he meets the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he sees the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he's, he's blinded by his glory. He literally falls to the ground. He's blinded by his glory. He goes on, and he meets with a guy named Ananias who comes, and he explains to him the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything that God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we read by the end of the chapter that he is baffled the Hellenistic Jews, and he's proving to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And so the whole thing begins with murderous threats, and then it ends with him baffling the Hellenistic Jews and proving to these people that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, he's going around, and he's telling his story, and people are listening to his story, and they're going, hey, isn't that the guy that was trying to kill us earlier? <laughs> what, what's going on? And he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's going, hey, you guys want proof of who he is? I am your proof. My story is all the proof that you need. Like, I hated you guys. I hated you guys. I hated your Jesus. I wanted all you fools dead last week. Like, that's who I was. But but here's the deal. I actually met the resurrected Jesus Christ on the way here to Damascus. I saw him, and and he knocked me to the ground. 
And his glory blinded me so that I would wake up again to the fullness of his beauty and be made brand new. Like, that's who I am. Like, and so his grace would come through and break through the hardness of my heart and would reach the deepest right recesses of my soul. Church, you've got to understand that years later, after pressing into the gospel and growing up as a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is going to be the guy that teaches us about love when he says things like, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It, it doesn't insist on having its own way. In, in other words, like one minute he's breathing murderous threats. And then years later, he's showing us how to love. Church, like that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it's Mary Magdalene when one minute she's possessed by seven different demons. All of a sudden she meets Jesus. Jesus touches her, right? He changes her from the inside out by giving her grace and giving her a brand new righteousness. And she goes on to become one of his most faithful followers around. It's, it's Peter who denies knowing Jesus one moment, and the next thing you know, he comes around and he becomes one of the greatest apostles and one of the greatest fathers of the church that we've ever seen. Like, that's what he means when he says, like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like, it's not only good news, church, it's powerful news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who comes and believes. Church, we've got to understand when we're talking about salvation here, we're talking about it's not just fire insurance for the future. Like, we're talking about past present, and future freedom from the penalty power and presence of sin. That's what we're talking about when we say salvation. Like it's not just future tense uh, glorification. We're, we're talking about past, present, and future freedom from the penalty power and presence of sin forever. That's soteriology. That is, the, the, that is what this word salvation means right here. There's three different theological words we talk about all the time in the church that I think are going to help us tell this story a little bit better. But again, we're, we're not just talking about future tense glorification, right? And so when you think about the future, that word right there is glorification. And what we're thinking about right here is this, it's what we're looking forward to, this day still future when you and I are going to be totally and completely set free from the presence of sin in our lives. It's what Revelation talks about. When Jesus is going to return once again, he's going to make all things brand new. No more sin, no more weeping, no more sadness, no more tears, no more pain. Right? It's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says he's going to return again. And when he returns again, we're going to have glorified bodies. And we read that word and we're kind of going, what in the world are glorified bodies? Like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's still a little bit confusing. I can't imagine what a glorified body is going to look like. Right? I, I can imagine it means we're going to get the abs we've always been praying for or something like that. But um, like I can only imagine what it means like we're going to have these glorified bodies in this time. Like our bodies are going to look like they were supposed to look like before sin, sin entered into the world. I remember talking with Tim Stone about this many, many years ago. Uh, if you don't know Tim Stone, Tim was a faithful member here at Dallas Bible for many years. And uh, for his entire life, he suffered with spina bifida, which means that he spent uh, the majority of his life in a wheelchair, unable to walk. Uh, he passed away a few years back, and uh, uh, just before he passed away, he had a number of sur surgeries on his feet, had to amputate some toes and, and uh, a number of different surgeries like that. But I remember every time I visited Tim, uh, he always wanted to talk about glorification, this hope of glory, being in the presence of God when his body would be made new again. But this is the thing he loved to talk about, and he would tell everybody who came into the room. I would go to the hospital getting uh, to pray with him before surgery, and, and he would be telling the nurse, he's like, you think my legs look gnarly now, but just wait till glory. They're going to be beautiful legs, and you're going to love looking at my legs, and it's a little weird and everything, but like, that's what he would always do. 
He just say, I cannot wait for that day I get to be in the presence of God, fully made whole, running in the fields with legs as they were intended to be made, and just running with church. Like, like that's what we're talking, that is the, the power of God for salvation. Church, what we're talking about here, we're not just talking about the annihilation in the end. Like, we're not talking about nothingness. We're talking about the hope of glory and God coming and making all things brand new as they were intended to be before sin entered into this picture and corrupted everything that we see and do. We're talking about this hope that one day still future, he's going to return again, and there's going to be no more sin, no more suffering, no more sadness, and no more pain. Church, it's why he's not ashamed telling people about the gospel. It's why he's not ashamed, church, like there is good news in the end. And some of you are there. Maybe you're in the middle of suffering and pain and sadness. Maybe you don't have a whole lot of time or anything left. And what he's saying right here is like there's a hope of glory that you can hold on to today. That is the power of God for salvation. There is a future hope of glory, glorification that you and I get to look forward to. It's what Paul says, for I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glories that are still to come. And he's fixating on future glory. And that fixation on future glory is what allows him to get through some of the sufferings that he's dealing with in the here of now. And church, what we're saying right here is that's only one element of the salvation that he came to bring. So that's the future tense right there. And so past tense, the word that you need to hold on to is justification. And that's what sets you free from the penalty of sin, which is death physically and spiritually, eternal separation from God. It's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5 when he says this. He says, therefore, since you and I have been justified by faith, we have peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a legal word, which simply means that you and I have been declared righteous, not because we are righteous, not because we live the holy, righteous life that God's righteousness demands of us, not because of any of those things, but simply because when you and I come to the Lord Jesus Christ in genuine faith, we recognize that he alone is God, fully divine, fully man, that he, he is the one who came and lived the sinless, holy, perfect, righteous life that we were not able to live, that he suffered and died as a substitute for us upon the cross. When we look upon him in genuine faith, for the forgiveness of our sins. He gifts us his righteousness. There's a cosmic swap which takes place in that moment whereby we give him our sin and all of the penalty that comes along with that, and he gifts us his righteousness. John Stott talks about it like this. He says, it's kind of like being a prisoner on death row who not only receives a pardon from the warden, but a graduate degree with honors from the most prestigious university in the world. I can only imagine he's talking about Texas A&M. On top of that, a Congressional Medal of Honor, a free steak dinner for life, access to the president where, whenever he wants it, and then access to the federal bank as well. Church, like, that's what we're talking about right here. Like, it's not just that you and I are forgiven sinners. He's given us a brand new identity. He's given us a brand new standing before a holy God whereby he looks at you and me, and he sees you not as a forgiven sinner, but as a righteous saint a child of God who has been transformed in his presence, not because of anything that he's done, but simply because of faith. And in the moment of that faith, there's a cosmic swap that takes place whereby he gifts us his righteousness and he looks at you and me and he can actually call you holy, righteous, and beloved. Church, that is the power of the gospel for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By the way, I'm going to tell you again, uh, this is the thing that did it for Luther back in the day. This is the thing that launched the Protestant Reformation. You remember this? He, he talked about how many, many years he hated hearing about the righteousness of God because it just reminded him, it was a painful reminder that God expected him to do something and to be someone that he was not able to be. 
And he says, I hated hearing about the righteousness of God. Like who could, who could attain that kind of standard? Who can live up to that? And he goes, even as, a, even as an impeccable monk, I, I was hopeless in being able to do that. And so he says that I hated him for years until I started studying the book of Romans and discovered right here that the righteousness God demands is the righteousness he also provides when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And so he says this, he says, with that knowledge, my eyes were opened up and I wasn't able to stay quiet about my discovery because I knew this, that this would become the doctrine that would set the church free. And church is exactly what's happened since then. It's why we worship here today. We worship here today because of what God revealed to Luther studying the book of Romans that the righteousness God demands of us, which is inherent in his character, is also the righteousness which he freely gives you and me when we come to him simply in faith and we're willing to receive it. Church, I'm telling you, like that is the power of God for salvation. It's not just the future hope of glory, which would be sufficient in and of itself. And here it is. It's not just the past beauty of his gift righteousness that has been given unto us. There's a third level right here, and it's found in our present tense. And the word that you want to highlight right here is the word sanctification, right? Sanctification, which simply means it's referring to the ongoing daily process by which he sets us free from the power of sin in our lives today. And he does it through a gift, again, of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the gift of his righteousness from which we now stand and which you and I can all attest to. It is a lot easier to walk in righteousness when that righteousness has already been given to you in the first place. And so he moves through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and this position that he gives you. And he says, go and walk in that righteousness. And as you do that, I will set you free from the ongoing power of sin in your life. It's what Paul talks about in Galatians 5 when he says this. He says, guys, stop walking by the deeds of the flesh, right? Stop walking by the deeds of the flesh. He says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, all the different things. And do you remember reading this passage here and kind of going, okay, yeah, awesome, Paul. I'd love to stop walking according to those things. <laughs> I'd love to stop doing the deeds of the flesh. But here's the problem. Paul, you talk about it in Romans chapter 7. Like, I do the thing I don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I do want to think. I find this war waging inside of me where I'm not always able to do what God wants me to do. And so we read this thing and he's simply saying, hey, stop doing the deeds of the flesh. And then he says this. He says, instead... Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Be, be, be in prayer. Come to the Holy Spirit through the, through the inspired word of God. Come to him and over time as you surrender to the Holy Spirit, he's gonna produce his life in you things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. In other words, he says, if you'll come and you'll walk with me, you'll surrender to me over time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to change your affections from the inside out. And over time, you will be not the same person as you were 10 years prior. You know, this past uh, a few weeks back, we had our men's barbecue up here at the church. And it was a great time as always, even though uh, Mr. Dixon didn't get to cook his barbecue this year. Hopefully we'll be able to do that here in the very future, but uh, he's got the best barbecue in the world. Nevertheless, we had a fantastic time. One of the purposes of doing this men's barbecue is to launch a lot of our small groups. Some of the small groups that we wanted to launch were specifically some recovery groups that were dealing with pornography addiction. 
And so we launched some of those things, and I was very, very encouraged by the number of people that decided to sign up and say, you know what, I want to be set free from the bondage of addiction that I've been walking in for so long. And so we're looking at the rosters, and there's a lot of people that are signing up for this, and it's incredibly encouraging. I'll tell you probably one of the things that was even more encouraging than than that was the number of emails that we received from people within that ministry that were coming and saying, hey, I want to be a part of those, those groups as a leader because this is part of my story. My story is that for years I walked in the bondage of addiction, But by his grace and by his power, he came in and he set me free from that thing. And I'm in a place of victory today. And I want to walk other men through that whole thing. Church, like that's the power of God for salvation right now. Not just future tense, not just past tense. Like right now, he is coming and he is entering in by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and me. Through the righteousness which he's already gifted us and the right standing that we stand on right now. He comes and he enters in. And through his grace and by his power, he begins to set you free as you walk with him. Church, I'll tell you, like, this is one of my favorite things to see as a pastor here at the church. I love the stories. I love the stories. 15 years in, in, in vocational ministry, looking back and seeing all the different stories of what God has done in people's lives, where they began and where they are today. I'm thinking of one story of a, somebody who is now an incredible friend of mine, walking in unbelievable victory today. But somewhere around 12 years ago, he walked into my office completely broken by the things that he's done, by the ways that he's ruined other people's lives, and by the ways that he ruined his own. And I'll never forget, he walked into my office, which was just broken in shame, broken, just crushed by the condemnation of what he'd done. There's a legal process that went through, and it's just an unbelievably difficult thing. And I remember we talked, and we developed a good friendship that day, started walking through this with some things, and set up some good boundaries that were there at the church um, that, would be, that would be appropriate. And I'll never forget, a couple months into meeting with him, he walks into my room, and and uh, he, was just, he was just having one of these days where he's being crushed by the shame of what he had done. And he can't, he's like, I don't know if I can con- continue doing this much longer. Like, I just keep, like, all these reminders keep popping in and just, just crushing my soul. And he's just weeping and weeping. And so finally, we're sitting there and we're talking. And um, well, I, I, I had him open up one of my favorite passages, which I share with you guys quite a bit. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I had him read this passage out loud where... It simply says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Bad news all the way through. But then he turns the corner and he simply says this, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And we sat there and we just started meditating on this word. And I said, man, I want you to stand up and I want you to just say this verse in the first person right here. And I just want you to speak this verse out loud. And I never forget, he stood up there and he's just like, okay, this is a little bit awkward. But he goes, this is who I was. But I was washed by the blood of the lamb. I was sanctified and I was called holy by God. I was justified and I was declared righteous by that God through the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me today. And I said, say that thing again. And he just bold, more boldness. He, he rose up and he said, that is who I was. It is no longer who I am because I've been washed by the blood of the lamb. 
I have been sanctified and called holy by God. I have been justified and declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of the living God. And I said, do it again. That is not who I was. This is who I am because I've been washed by the blood of the lamb, sanctified and called holy by God, justified and declared righteous church. And I'm watching this man stand in front of me, tears streaming down his face as he begins to understand the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything that he'd done on his behalf. And he sat there with tears streaming down his face, claiming the newness of life that he can have in him. That is not who I was. This is who I am. I've been washed by the blood of the lamb, sanctified and called holy, justified and declared righteous, not because I am, but because that's who God is. And that's what he's gifted me in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Church, I can tell you today, this man is walking by faith and in victory as a godly man of God, simply because he is clinging to what God has done for him in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's a present day hope of salvation whereby he works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit according to the righteousness he's already given us, and he begins to set you and I free through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we are not controlled by the power of that sin today. Church, there is nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing for you and I to be ashamed about. This is good news. Church, everything we talk about, everything that we worship about, it's good news. Church, it's not just good, it's powerful. Like this is a dynamite that can come and explode years and years and years of built up sin and numbness and hardness of heart and it can get to the innermost recesses of our soul and begin all brand new, setting us on solid ground from a place of righteousness, giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit and making us brand new church. Like this is good news. And what I'm trying to say, church, is that there's nothing for you to be ashamed about. There's no reason for us to be silent there's no reason for us to shrink back. I, I don't know if you want to hear that. I don't know if I, it has nothing to do with arrogance because it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. It implicates you and me as sinners in need of God's grace, in need of saving, and it elevates our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as the one who's come and done everything on our behalf. It has nothing to do with arrogance. Church, there's nothing for us to be ashamed about. It is the power of God for salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. Not only for the Jew, but also for the Greek and for the homeless and for the self-righteous, for the religious, for the conservative who thinks that this is way too easy, for the liberal that thinks, hey, this is way too simple, I like things a little bit more complex. For the rich and for the powerful that thinks, hey, I've got no reason, I've got no need of anything. It does not matter where you are. Anyone and everyone who will simply call out the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the great church. There's nothing for you and I to be ashamed of today. I'm going to end with this one right here, but I told you a little while ago, back in July, my family and I had a fantastic vacation out in Colorado Springs we went out to Cave of the Winds, did a little bit of caving out there. I think I've told you this in the past, but I'm incredibly claustrophobic. I typically don't do well in, in tight, dark spaces or anything like that. And inevitably, anytime you go caving, the, the tour guide is going to want to take you to this place where they take you to the most tight spot, and they ask everybody to turn out all the lights so that you can see how dark it actually is around you. And so that's what we did. We went down there, and we get to that place, and and uh, I'll never, we kind of, I knew it was coming. I've been caving before. I knew it was coming. It didn't really help very much, but she says, okay, everybody flashlights out. And I sat there and I was like holding Caleb's hand. I'm like, hey buddy, it's going to be okay. All right. It was all about, uh, I was the one that was kind of freaking out there, but the lights go out and 
It seemed like about an hour that they were out. It was only about 15 seconds. And sure enough, about 10 seconds into it, my heart is beating. It's racing. I'm kind of going, okay, a little bit of light. A little bit of light would be fantastic. 15 seconds comes around and the woman grabs her phone and all she does is just hit the little button. Tiniest bit of light comes on from this cell phone that she has. And it's all it took for me to be calm once again, because that tiny little bit of light, it lit up the entire cave. Church, the reason I tell you that is just simply a reminder that in this world that is surrounded by darkness, like it doesn't take very much to light up a room. And church, like that is my hope and my prayer for us today, that we would go and we would be a light in a very dark world, that we would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'd be a group of people who, who boldly and confidently draw near to him every single day of our lives, and that we would be reminded of the goodness and the power of the gospel of Jesus every day, and that he would confidently send us back out, unashamedly sharing the hope that we have, all for the fame and for the glory of his name. I want to encourage you to pray with me right now, but Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you, God, that when we were lost and dead in our sins, you didn't give up on us, God. You fixed your love upon us so much so that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. When we could not be righteous, you came and lived the holy and righteous life we could not live. When we deserved death and separation from you, you went to the cross and you suffered and you bled and you died as a substitute for us, that any and all who would come to you in faith may have life now and for all of eternity. If that's you, you happen to tune in today and you're realizing, hey, like I've never known the power of God for salvation. I've never said yes to Jesus. I want to encourage you that this may be your day. The Bible says very, very clearly you can be saved simply by coming to him in genuine faith today, recognizing you are a sinner in need of salvation and that Jesus is the one that came and did everything that you couldn't do. If that is you, I want to encourage you to, to come to him in faith, saying, God, I, I trust that you are Jesus. I trust that you are the son of God. You are the king of kings. You lived the life I could not live. You suffered and died on the cross as a substitute for me. God, would you come and make me new? Would you give me this gift of righteousness, which I've heard about today? God, would you save me today? Justification, sanctification, glorification, now and always. That is you. I want to, we would love to uh, ask you to let us know that that's you. We'd love to connect with you a little bit later on. You can do so in the chat room. There's a little card right there. We'd love to hear from you. But church, for the rest of you, I want to encourage you that that you would transition from being ashamed of the gospel, maybe if that may be where you are, to being unashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. Father, would you come and would you give us an idea of one person that we may be able to share that with today? And church, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, would you ask that of the Lord, Father, who is one person that I can go and I can share the hope of the gospel with at some point this semester? Father, would you bring me one name? If you can't think of a name right now, God, would you give me one opportunity to come up here in the very near future, Lord, that I can go and share the hope of the gospel with someone who does not know you today. Father, we do love you. We thank you. God, would you do a work in us that we could say along with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We love you. God, we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.